0: So we have this picture of Abraham rising before the body of his dead, before those that belong to him, the body of the one that belongs to him. And I think that's important um, because Abraham, if you remember that we covered last week, Abraham had an idea that if I kill Isaac and Isaac is the promised seed, if I sacrifice him... He is the promised seed that all of this is coming through. Another child isn't coming. This is the only shot God's got at fulfilling his promises. There must be a way then in Abraham's mind that Isaac can be resurrected from the dead. In fact, Hebrews 11 tells us that's what Abraham believed. Hebrews 11 confirms that that is what he is thinking. So Abraham here has the idea that he's rising before his dead, uh, rose before Um, is dead and needs a place for the body out of his sight he has an understanding that the connection of the body and the soul are separate that but the identity continues even after death and can be in fact resurrected so this follows on the heels of what he believes about what will happen to Isaac and now we're seeing that surely those same ideas must have been in his mind as he looks for a burial site for his wife. As he loses his wife, they certainly would have been married long enough that Paul Harvey would have mentioned him on his show. As he loses his wife, he has this idea of there is a resurrection. That that was not something that came much, much later. So I think it's important that, that we understand that. And then he's looking for a burial site. He wants to bury her body Outside of his sight, he wants her buried where she's no longer where he can see. He, she she has a spot that's dedicated for her body. And again, that's something that's totally different that we haven't seen yet here. He's not uh, wanting to put her in a boat and float her off into sea. He's not wanting to ignite her on fire. Not wanting to leave it to rot, but at the same time doesn't want it Sitting there, staring at her at him it's not it 's not that type of belief in the dead there 's something different going on here, but again, certainly a belief in the afterlife, a belief that the soul extends beyond the body and and but at the same time having a respect and understanding for the body of people and I think that respect for the body of people I think that 's something if we if we just touch on this a little bit about death and Uh, our bodies after we die. Our bodies are in fact an important thing that God has given us to use and take care of and that picture is given of the church that we take care of the church in such a way as a body, as a body of Christ. But our bodies, uh, he gives them the respect that they deserve and I think even in our culture we have the same type of respect that should be given. I think it's just innate in human beings to respect bodies. I remember As a medical student, if you wanted to get kicked out of school in your first year, you desecrated a body in the lab, and that meant anything from uh, leaving them in funny positions to removing parts of them to take home with you um, to filming or taking pictures of the bodies. We just didn't do it. It wasn't as big a deal back then because... We didn't all carry cameras in our pockets, but the rules were very set. In fact, at the end of your first year of medical school, the vast majority of the human remains that we worked with on the year would be cremated, placed in a large urn, and buried at cemetery down by the med center. And the med students were responsible to uh, actually have a ceremony where those of us who could play instruments, those of us who could sing, rehearsed and put on a ceremony and we invited the family of those who had donated their bodies to come and and take part in that. So and and I'll tell you right now, that was a very pagan enterprise. There was very little spiritual or religious about it, but everyone, even the, the most atheist among us, were involved in <clears throat> wanting to honor these people and honor The bodies, those of us who didn't believe that anything existed after this life, as well as those who believe that the body is here but the soul carries on, those of us who believe the body was an amazing creation by God, as well as those who believe it was nothing but a haphazard chance of chemicals put together, all wanted to be part of and be sure that they honored those who had given of themselves in that way. So we see this respect given by Abraham, and we're we're given that example, and I think that's I think that's important. So if this is the first mentioning of Scripture, I think we need to also, though, understand the context of what this is given in. And that is the context of the original hearers who would have been Jews who have fled from Egypt. And Egypt has a fairly well-known belief system about the afterlife, right? They have these great big pyramids that exist where you take somebody and you remove their organs so that they can use them later and you lay them out and you embalm them. So, and you do all of this extravagant things and you leave all this wealth in the the tomb with them so that they have it in the afterlife and so that they can have it as they go forward. So, the idea of, one of the reasons I think we don't see a real clear declaration of there is life after death, um, that something else takes place from here, is the context that Genesis is given in, is to a group of people that would have been raised in that environment and they would have known and understood a belief in the afterlife, and in a belief in something happens after this, as well as this understanding of the the proper treatment of of human remains, and and to not desecrate the dead. So a strong belief in the afterlife, a strong belief in the burial of the dead, and an identity of who you are in death is a picture of who you were in life. We see that with the mourning for Sarah and the respect that Abraham is giving her here. But again, up to this point in Scripture, there's no mention of anything more than you live, Uh, you have children, and then you die. One of the reasons I think that is, is that they were strangers in a strange land. They didn't have a common place yet, and now God has granted, in the future, Abraham a place. They actually now have an identity as a people, and their identity is now tied to that land. So your identity not only continues in the afterlife, but your identity now for them, for these jewish people that are receiving this and certainly for abraham looking forward is tied to that land and their identity doesn't end at death just as they're tied to the promises of god doesn't end with their death we talked last week god is the god of abraham isaac and jacob and they're dead so we must be the god of the living and the dead so the dead must be carrying on and the promises of god carry forward even after death for those who are his own and i think we're seeing a picture of that Tied to the land itself. The promised land is tied to the future, to descendants, and this continues even after death. Now, I would say then that this, is, this answers the question, well then, I'm, I know I'm going to die someday. Is it okay for me to be cremated instead of buried? Is there an issue there? Is this teaching that burial is the way to go and cremation is wrong? Well, I would say that what we're seeing here is tied specifically to the promise of the people of Israel to their land. And we're going to see that connected here as Abraham buys land in which to bury his dead. And we see generations moving forward, burying in the same spot, giving them... a. a, toehold in the land, and I think that's what's more important, and the honoring of the dead bodies is more important than, boy, should I be cremated or should I be buried? I think if you fulfill the things like looking forward to the promises of God and, and also honoring a body and not desecrating a body, um, as well as looking at death as a reflection of a person's life and that how you die is a reflection of how you live as a person. Those are the key things to take away from this. This certainly is not anything saying that cremation would be wrong and that we should all be buried in the tomb in Israel somewhere. If we really wanted to take it that far, I'm afraid that's where you'd have to go. So as we've stated, it's tied to the people, um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their wives will be buried in this plot of land as we move forward here. And as I said, Joseph will have his bones brought back to this land. And then we're going to see things, terms used in the Old Testament when someone dies, they are said to be, if they're someone of good repute and they've uh, honored God and they've lived an overall good life, that they are gathered to their people. Or the kings are gathered to their families, or gathered to the tombs of the kings, and, and that's where they're buried. And so the picture even gets a little more clear Moving forward and and I just love that term gathered to his people the idea of of in death bringing together all family friends the community and as well both living and dead is pictured there so this gets expanded upon but here here we're just getting the first taste of it and what it means for the people of Israel as they're about to enter the promised land and they're hearing Genesis for the first time what does it mean to them So verse five, moving forward, the sons of Heth answered Abraham after Abraham's asked for a burial site. And the sons of Heth answer Abraham and say, hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. So a huge amount of respect is going on here, and if you if you turn back and look at the occurrence with Melchizedek and what goes on there, as well as the king of Sodom, um, and you see the respect that the people of the area where Abraham lives have for Abraham himself, you kind of understand what's going on here. Abraham is a mighty prince, he is somebody who has an incredible amount of wealth, um, but he just wanders about with his flocks and his people and uh, doesn't isn't actually a stakeholder, a literal stakeholder in the land, but still that respect exists. And it's mutual. We see Abraham showing respect to them, rising up, bowing down to the people of the land, the sons of Heth there in seven. So this relationship is already in place as we see going forward. And so Abraham speaks to them saying, If it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and approach Ephron, the son of Zoar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machla, which he owns, which is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. Now Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even Of all who went in at the gate of his city, saying, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will only please listen to me, I will give you the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Then Ephron answered Abraham saying to him, my Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? So bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephraim and Abraham weighed out for Ephraim the the silver, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. Now from 20,000 feet, what we have here is two men arguing over who's going to pick up the check, basically. Um, neither, neither man has a problem. The money is not the issue here at all in so much as the amount of transfer of wealth between two people. But something is very important here to Abraham and I think Abraham's making a point of it um, when we go back up to verse eight. If it's, um, I'm sorry, verse nine. He defines exactly which cave he's looking for. And he says, for the full price, let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. So Abraham is, from the get-go, is saying, "I, I need a burial site, but I am going to pay for it. And then in verse 10, Ephron the Hittite answers Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even of all who went in at the gate of the city, saying... So I think the importance of that there is that... Abraham and Ephron are having this discussion in front of all the people of the city. Abraham is saying, "We're going to pay a fair price. We're going to pay what the land is actually worth." And everyone here is knowing that this is taking place. We have all of these witnesses present that this is what's going to happen. I think it's. I think it reflects well on Ephron as well as Abraham that uh, they argue over whether or not it's worthy. To pay, I think both of them are like, you know, Ephron, I'm sure, is trying to respect Abraham in his state of mourning. Abraham is trying to show uh, Ephron that, no, 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 you don't have to give it to me. Um, I'm going to pay for it. But I think there's far more than arguing over 400 shekels of silver and whether or not they're respecting each other here. I think that the 400 shekels of silver and the witnesses are all there because the Israelites are actually going to have land in the promised land at the end of this chapter. And I think that's incredibly important. The other thing that's incredibly important to remember here is the age of Abraham. Abraham is like 10 years or so older than Sarah. And so we have here a very old man. And certainly in Eastern culture, he would have been very well respected. um, But he is at a point now where... It's also understanding, understandable if his son would be the one who's carrying, off, carrying on these, these dealings. But it is specifically with Abraham. They have this long history built up. So the cave that's mentioned here is literally, um, I'm glad I only had to read it once. Um, it's literally translated the double cave. Or, or it's a, it's a, it, it means double. So there's this double cave that exists. Um, it exists today in Hebron. There's a mosque and synagogue um, that was built over the top of it. Uh, you can go and you can visit it and see it. There is, um, it's changed hands over the years, and I think at some point during the Crusades, there was a, a church or sepulcher put over the top, and then when Israel actually captured it, I think in 67, um, they actually built the mosque Israel built a mosque and synagogue over the top because um, it's a holy site for Muslims as well since Abraham is the one who's buried there. It's not just a holy site for the people of Israel. So it, it does in fact exist. It's there. You can, you can go visit the place. It is real. And that, that would have been important as well to the people of Israel as they're getting ready to enter the promised land Uh, One of the other reasons I think this chapter is in here is not only understanding some ties between life and death and what happens after and ties to the land, but, but they're told that, yeah, and our great descendant Abraham is actually buried, or Sarah, the first one to die in the land, is actually buried in the land. She's actually in there where we're going and you can go see it. You can go visit their tomb. Which would have been again for people who had just come out of Egypt, where tombs and death and pyramids and afterlife are all so important. They would have it would have pricked up their ears to understand that uh, that this is where Sarah is buried, and they're going to learn of others who are buried there too, moving forward. But certainly, the first mention of it is going to become important to them. So, verse seventeen. So, Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah, I, I'll pronounce it differently each time, just so one of the times I'll be right, which face Mamre, the field and cave which was in it, all the trees that, which were in the field that were within the confines of the border were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of the city. So again, we're given, this is basically a legal description of the land, that it is uh, the, the specific field that, and its location, what's on the field and what's in the field, including all the trees that are in the field, and everything is deeded over. So legal documentation now is carried about. Um, it's got a confined border. It's clearly defined what this is, and it's given to Abraham for a possession in the presence of, sons, of the sons of Heth. So uh, a third party has witnessed this, The Hittite and the Hebrew have come together, made a deal. Third party has watched this. Well-defined. Tons of witnesses. Abraham now has land in Israel. Abraham has seen the beginning of the promises of God fulfilled in the death of his wife as he he plans for a tomb and a place for his people to gather. So it's kind kind of a big deal. Um... And then verse 19, after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. So again, verse 20 reiterates, this is deeded over to Abraham, and I think that's the whole point of chapter 23 is this deeding of land to Abraham and it, it's a toehold in the promised land. They actually have been there for, for decades and now they actually own a piece of it even though it's a small piece and all it is is a place to bury their dead. It's there. One of the temptations here then is to take the text and read back into it what we know and understand about death and burial. Other episodes where people are buried in the in the Bible after this. Why is burial important to us? Is burial important to us as believers? Caleb's like, yeah, of course it is. When is burial important to us? Resurrect somebody other than the smart girl in the front. Certainly, the resurrection. Okay. Who was in a tomb? Jesus. When in doubt, guess Jesus. You might be right. And then the teacher won't call on you again. You'll be set. So, absolutely. Christ was buried and rose from a tomb. We don't want to, um, that is hugely important to us. That's like the thing for us as believers, right? That's why we're here on Sunday, is because that's when he was resurrected from a tomb. Um, I don't think this is dealing directly with any of that, and so we don't want to read back into that, um, that this is somehow setting up for Christ to be put in a tomb as well or something. I'm not, I don't know how you could do it, but you don't want to do that. What other times do we use burial as a picture? Baptism. Baptism. absolutely. So we have... Um, Dying with Christ, buried, and raised again with Christ. And we have that that picture in baptism where uh, those of us are made alive with Christ. Again, that fits really well with uh, Christ's own resurrection. That's what that's supposed to help us picture. Um, And not exactly what's going on here, but again, the whole idea of being tied with promises not yet fulfilled is present, In fact, that's present when we see Christ arise. We see him arise from a tomb as, yes, first fruits for those of us who believe. We too will arise, but arising with a future promise of what is to come. And so we see Sarah buried with a future promise of what is to come. We talked about the Egyptian culture. I just want to make sure I've hit all the main points that I did want to hit. So certainly today, when we look at future promises of God to be fulfilled, uh, there is a decent possibility that death for us will be part of God's working plan. So far, up to 100 years ago, every believer other than Enoch and Elijah, have gone through death and we ourselves will go through death. It's part of the Christian experience is to go is to go through that. So we certainly want to treat it with respect and we certainly want to show that we can die well, that we can mourn well and that we can do it with purpose. But we should also do it with the idea that we're looking to the future. Just as these people were, not only Sarah and Abraham, but also the Israelites that are originally hearing it. So if we turn over to 1 Corinthians, it's a challenge to be known as this, but it would be neat to be known as a people in this body of believers who know how to die well, for whom death is not the end, for whom death is something where you actually are looking forward. Um where there's a respect for the time God has given that is reflected in proper mourning, that's reflected in the way we treat our dead and the way we gather together as a people, but also in the way we look forward. Our ultimate looking forward, though, is tied to Christ. So in verse 20, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So, for since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father When he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. We'll stop there, because I think a new thought starts getting developed there. So for us as believers, we too are looking forward. Sarah herself has not yet been risen in this way. Her body is still decayed in a tomb and is returned to dust. Just as all of ours, if it, happens, if it goes long enough, whether you're cremated or not or buried, it doesn't matter. You're going to turn into dust and the minerals of the earth again. But because of our hope in Christ himself and what he went through, that he himself is the first fruits of those who are asleep. So he is the first harvest. He is the, the initial taking of... Uh, the fruit of, of, of the gain of what has been sown. The first one sown in the ground who's brought forth in a glorified body is Christ himself. Where he is raised with his body to glory. Then it mentions, for since by man came death and by man also came the resurrection of the dead. We've covered that. man. Certainly man has, die, has uh, brought about death. Adam in the sin in the garden has brought about death. Back in chapter 3, and by man came the resurrection of the dead. And so we see that even Abraham had this as his hope, that that understanding what happened with Adam, he was looking forward to a seed because up to this point, the world has been in corruption. The world is not fulfilling the plan that God had. The world has never achieved what was present in the Garden of Eden of man walking blamelessly with God um in an upright way that's that's been lost and that Abraham is looking for the promised seed and Abraham is looking through the promised seed through the resurrection even of his son after sacrifice by man came death and by man will come the resurrection of the dead for as in Adam all die so also in Christ all will be made alive Christ is that seed but each in his own order Christ is the first fruit so Christ needed to do that before any of the rest of us are able to be risen in this regard. Even Elijah and Enoch have not gone through this. Christ was the first one to go through this, where his body is now taken up in glory and His a glorified body that he's received. After that, those who are in Christ at his coming, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished the rule and authority and power. It is this ultimate defeat of death that we are looking forward to, and it certainly would have been the ultimate that Abraham was looking forward to. And I think, I think that that is certainly implied and then again made clear in in Hebrews for us. I just want to read a hymn for us. Uh, Christ the Lord is risen today. I think a lot of you know it, certainly if I played the tune, which I won't do, um, because I didn't, I haven't played in a long time. No, nah, I can't do it. Um, but you can sing it if you want. Okay. So, Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. Earth and heaven in chorus say, alleluia. Raise your joys and triumphs high. Sing ye heavens and earth reply. Love's redeeming work is done. Fought the fight, the battle won. Death in vain forbids him rise. Christ has opened paradise. Live again, our glorious King. Where, O death, is now thy sting? Once he died, our souls to save. Where's the, thy victory, boasting grave? Soar we now where Christ has led, following our exalted head. Made like him, like him we rise. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. Abraham and Sarah lived a long time together on this earth, far longer than any of us will be allowed to live with our spouses. And and their hope was not in this world, even though the promises to Abraham were in this world, even though the promises of Abraham included things in this world. He understood that it was a kingdom to come. He understood that, and as a gracious gift to him, I think, in the death of his beloved, he is able to plant a stake in the ground that God has promised, God gives him that before he loses his uh, his own life and is is buried in the same tomb God himself is is showing him that my promises will take will take hold they are real, it will happen let 's pray, Lord, I just thank you for again your word. We thank you for this picture that you 've given of uh, pursuing of promises not yet fulfilled and trusting in the faith in you, and also the idea that you do give us small bits to hang on to and to keep us focused, Lord, as, as you did for Abraham in this case and for the people as they're entering the promised land. I pray, Lord, with your word is that we again would uh, use it to change our hearts, and as we look forward to The message this morning and the opportunity as a congregation to encourage one another and worship you in song, that we would do so, Lord, with hearts that are repentant, for we are a sinful people. We certainly deserve the death that that faces all of us at the end of this life. Um, But at the same time, Lord, we pray that your Son, who has conquered death, would come quickly and would gather those of us who believe and would that we might be with him immediately, Lord, what a great joy that would be as he ultimately conquers all death. It's in his name we pray. Amen.